1: no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com
2: it's my little escape
1: now judy's the life of the party
2: oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon
1: whoa take it easy judy (laughs)
4: Good evening, Steeler fans. Welcome back to another Wednesday and Know Your Enemy here today. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Here with me, as always, Shannon White. Shannon, how you doing? I'm awesome, Rich. Buccaneer football. All right. With us tonight to talk about the Buccaneers, J.C. Allen from Pewter Report. J.C. Allen, how you doing tonight?
3: I'm doing great. Uh, always excited to chop up football, learn about a little bit uh, of about another team and and kind of Uh, spread the knowledge i know about this team so i'm excited to to be here and chop up some uh, bucks Steelers talk with you guys
4: all right well i'm going to kick it right off right off the bat with one of the most important topics especially for this week the injury report how how are the bucks faring on the injury side
3: yeah so i mean both of these teams have a list about about a mile long it looks like um and there's some good news and some bad news um you know there's a bunch of guys who have not participated today Akeem Hicks is one of these guys who's day to day I'd be surprised to see him out there Logan Ryan uh their safety that they got uh is has already essentially been ruled out with a foot injury he won't be playing Carl Nassib with an illness Sean Murphy Bunting popped his quad he got some MRIs today so He did not participate. We'll see what that's looking like. Julio Jones still dealing with that partially torn PCL is not participating as well as Jalen Darden, who had a tooth uh, injury. And Russell Gage, who popped up, you know, with a hamstring injury uh, earlier on this season. Then last week it was a back. Now he looks like he's dealing with an ankle injury, did not participate. But there was some good news. It wasn't all bad news. Cam Brake came back with a concussion. He's still in the protocol, but we'll see if he's cleared. Carlton Davis, who left the game last week with a hip injury. Is back to full participation as is Brashad Perriman, who missed last week, and limited participation for Mike Edwards, one of their top safeties with an elbow injury, and Chris Godwin dealing with that hip knee. Uh, but I'm told it's really nothing to worry about. He should be able to go. Same thing with Donovan Smith, who's dealing with an elbow, but. Man, this Bucks team has been banged up early and often from the, from the get-go. The wide receiver position, the offensive line position has taken hits. Now you're starting to see a crossover to that secondary position where if you watch the Bucs or know anything about the Bucs, last year was decimated to the point that they brought Richard Sherman out from his walker and brought him back into the NFL. So, uh, you know, they, they are definitely uh, banged up. They're not a healthy team, and we know – the biggest thing on, on any team's chances of winning the Super Bowl is health. And so far, uh the that has not been in the Bucks' favor. But you know, better get these injuries in early in the season, I think, as long as they're not ones that are gonna linger throughout the season. I think that's always a good sign. But um, you know, it's not looking at across the across the way from the Steelers, you guys are dealing with quite a few injuries as well on your end.
2: Yeah, the been watching the Bucks this year when, whenever whenever get possible and you know, from what we've seen as soon as Brady showed up, you know, two years in a row, they, they were the class of that conference, you know, that division and they just look different this year, you know, partly because like you said, Gronkowski's not there, but a lot of it's just injuries and, and they've, uh, at the skill position players, uh, especially, which has affect, affected Brady more than I think age has, um, Right. they're starting to get some guys back. You know, God would start to get healthy. And like you said, Gage might be back. And, um, but as far as, you know, cause I know you just telling us before the show, you're a transplanted, um, from the great North, you're a new Englander that and now in the sunshine friendly state there in, right. in Florida. And contrary to rumor, you were there first and, and Brady followed you not the other way around. Yeah. Uh, but I know you're very familiar with Brady. How do you think he's looked so far this year? And is any, is most of these, his numbers are down a little bit. Is a lot of that because of the injuries or, or you think father time is catching up a little bit?
3: No, I I think he's looked sharp as he's ever been. I think he's looked his three years here. He's looked like he's got more zip, more, more, um, Velocity to his throws and everything like that. I think this year throughout the first four games was just not having his weapons. I mean, you look at the guys who are out um, and then last week kind of dealing with a little bit of a shoulder, a nagging shoulder. It's not something to worry about, but I think you saw some of that. Some of that injury was was impacting some of his throws under through Scotty Miller. When he had him deep, uh, missed a few other throws that isn't typically Brady-like. I don't think Father Time's there. I don't think Father Time will be there next year if he decides to. I think the way that him and Alex Guerrero, his trainer, has has put together what they do on a day-to-day, they literally are, are living to be able to play football. They're training mm-hmm. even in the offseason with their diet and everything they're doing. Now he'll have a cheat day here and there, we'll have a cheeseburger, but after that, he's he's back on a binge of avocado ice cream and avocado tequila throughout, <laughs> you know, six months. So, um, I I think Brady has has looked um, definitely sharp, but the the weapons and the offensive line too. You know, you look at the offensive line; he lost his Pro Bowl center and Ryan Jensen the second day of training camp. Ali Marpet retired, uh, who finally made his first Pro Bowl, very very uh, overdue. Um, He decided to retire. Alex Kappa signed over with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, They brought in Shaq Mason from the Patriots, which I believe is an upgrade, and he's looked phenomenal. But now you're dealing with a rookie and and left guard, Luke Gedeke, and you're dealing with Robert Hainsey who's a first-year center. Now, Robert Hainsey, I think, has looked fine. He's certainly not Ryan Jensen. He doesn't bring that attitude, toughness, and and that reputation and, and that skill set he's still learning his way and I, I i don't think that's been an issue but left guard's been an issue too i mean you still look at the first uh first play of the game uh you know Grady Jarrett was able to just rag doll him to the side and, and put pressure on Brady and you know Brady mentioned, without mentioning any names, he mentioned, you know, early in the game, someone misses assignment. And now you're wondering, are they going to miss that assignment the entire game? So you've got that in the back of your head. Um, you know, and, and I like to think he's probably talking about Luke Kadecki, you know, especially with that pressure and Grady Jarrett. He said, I woke up last night looking for <laughs> had nightmares about him. Look, woke up looking for him around my shoulder. Um, so, you know, you look at those types of things. Uh, I think offensive line has had a little bit to do with it. Now, Brady's still got the quickest release. Uh, One of the quickest releases in the NFL had the second quickest release behind Big Ben last year. Um, but he also had the most 20 plus yard throws down the field where Big Ben was just dunking and dinking and uh, you know, because he didn't have the time either. So, um, you know, I I think that's helped not having those wide receivers, those weapons, um, inconsistent play. Young guys still kind of learning their way have, have definitely. Uh, kind of hurt the scene. But you saw last week he had a, a majority of his weapons. Uh they didn't run the ball as much, but they passed it through the air. Same thing with against the Chiefs. Came up short. He had a good game passing through the air. And um the 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 coaches have wanted to make this this team more multiple. They've wanted to Run have more balance between running and passing, but the reality of this is a passing first offense. And with the wide receivers and and, and Brady at the quarterback, you got to be throwing the ball if you're going to want to win games and win them big. And we're seeing that the last two weeks that that's been the, the been the key to the to the offense.
4: You mentioned the injuries to his some of his key weapons, uh, really affecting him. And I was looking through the stats before the show, and I was surprised to see Leonard Fournette is second in receiving yards on this team. Right. And the only real receiver who's who's taken off so far is Mike Evans. Okay. Uh, is that is that simply lack familiarity, or is and like the moving in and out, shuffling pieces around, and people not being a hundred percent, or is Leonard Fournette really come into his own as a receiver here in, in the NFL?
3: Well, even before he got to the Bucs, his final year with the Jags, he had about seventy yard seventy receptions. Uh, you know, he's he's always been uh, a, a decent receiving back, and this year it, it's just bumped up, you know, you mentioned, yeah, he's, he's second in receiving yards. Uh, but I believe he's first in receptions on the team. And last year he finished third in receptions. Uh, we know Tom Brady's always been an advocate for those, <clears throat> those pass catching backs. You know, you can go down the line from um, Kevin Falk to Denny Woodhead, James Marine, James, what Shane Marine, James White, all those different players who have been uh, a huge impactful players out of the backfield. Um and and Leonard is the next one. Last week the the Falcons played a lot of uh off coverage, deep coverage, per, per, try to prevent that deep ball, so they tore him up underneath to Leonard Fournette. He had ten catches on eleven targets, eighty uh, something yards and a touchdown. So Brady's gonna take first and foremost. Brady's always gonna take what's given to him. Um, you know, he's always looking for that big home run play, but if it's not there, he's got no problem checking it down four yard catch for Leonard Fournette and say, Hey, go make some magic happen. And we've seen him do that. We've seen also Rashad White get into the mix. the third round rookie this year. He's getting more and more comfortable in the system. The game is slowing down for him and he's got 10 receptions for 85 yards on his own. And I think he's going, you're going to see him start to get incorporated a lot more into the game. And I think you'll probably see him even more so this week against the Steelers, especially if it gets out of hand a little earlier, let Leonard, you know, keep those legs fresh for Lenny, let Rashad White get a majority of those bulk snaps and and get him going in
2: both the running game and in the passing game. I think I've I've said this many times on the show is with Brady, he learned it from Belichick and what made them the most successful uh, coach quarterback combination in NFL history is no ego uh belichick simplifies everything he'll take away your number one weapon right and he will exploit your number one weakness it seems so simple but a lot of coaches won't do it they'll have a play that works and they're like well i'm going to save it to the third quarter not not belichick or not brady they will do it over and over and <laughs> over uh you know as we remember in some of the afc championship games where the running backs and the tight ends had 20 catches all right because the Steelers, the three-four defense is always susceptible in the middle, and they're even worse this year. The Steelers' middle of the field is is everybody's playground, and so if if you got any fantasy guys, if they're a running back, a tight end, or a slot receiver, you play him because they're going to have huge numbers, and that that concerns me because if you get Fournette in space, he is very hard to tackle one-on-one, right. and if you're not bringing it physically, he will run you over. The Steelers have an issue there in that the linebackers are not fast and they're not very physical. That's a bad combination. And the slot uh, corners are small and not very physical. So um, who should the Steelers – I know we're talking about Fournette, and you mentioned White. Brady always has a slot guy that he really likes, whether it was Edelman or or Welker or, you know. uh, Who else should the Steelers really be concerned with, maybe out of the slot or at the tight end position?
3: Yeah, well, since Colby's retired, there's no more short white guys on there on the team for him to, <laughs> for him to go after. But Chris Rowan's a slot guy in this offense, and if you look at Bruce Arians' offense, he's always had a bigger slot guy who can mm-hmm. who's an exceptional at blocking, who can do you know is versatile enough to line up on the outside, but works predominantly in the slot. You look at the guys. You guys remember this name? I'm about to say Heinz Ward. Heinz uh-huh. Ward was one of the very first of Bruce Arians' <laughs> guys. You go to you go to um, Indianapolis with Reggie Wayne. You go over to Larry Fitzgerald and now it's Chris Godwin in this offense is that iteration guy who's going to get his nose dirty in the blocking in the running game in the blocking uh, and can, can line up everywhere but can do it pr- predominantly and most of his damage is going to come from the slot. So that's the guy they're going to have to look out for as far as tight ends. It looks like rookie tight end Cade Otten is going to uh, I think he's going to be tight end one by the end of the season. Uh, Cam Brait will be more of a rotational guy uh Cam still a very you know brady trusts him he's a good receiving threat but that's what he is he's a receiving threat tight end he's tried to improve his block blocking over the years it's improved a little bit but it's still not at that point where um it, it's on par with what the bucks need and what they're looking for especially with younger interior offensive linemen um so i think kate otten's a guy to look out for rashad White, Leonard Fournette, obviously those those are guys who can do some damage scotty miller is actually um Kind of improved his game, known for mostly as a deep threat. Last week, he had a few dig routes over the middle. That kind of, I think he catches some of these these receivers by uh, cornerbacks by surprise, where they're expecting him to go deep and he cuts it in, and they're like, "Whoa, you're a deep guy! What are you doing?" Um, so I think those are some guys to kind of look out for uh, who might do some damage against against the Steelers. You mentioned the linebackers, who you know they're not the fastest guys, they're not the physical guys. They are very athletic, um, especially a guy like Miles Jack. Um, but again, he you know, he he's got he's got a good athleticism that not necessarily speed um, isn't his his strongest suit in, in physicality. So Leonard Fournette, I, I had him on my uh, show yesterday, um, and, and that's one thing that he wants to do is just kind of impose his will. You look at that Cowboys game towards the end. Cornerbacks didn't want to tackle him anymore. They were just kind of throwing their bodies at him. They weren't they didn't want any part of him. Yesterday uh, on Sunday against the Falcons, he broke three tackles uh, before he finally went out of bounds on a nine yard catch and run. So he's definitely carry, uh, um, you know, able to do that. And I think that, uh, you know, that's the way they're going to want to attack them. But it's going to take time. It's going to take time for him to, to locate those guys and, you know, go through his reads and and find those check downs if they're there, because. The Steelers, while they're while they're injured up, they still got a really good guy that they're going to probably place over that rookie left guard Luke Geticky and Cam Hayward, and he's he can do some damage. One sack, one forced fumble on the on the year, but we know his presence goes much more than stats uh, can be. So they're going to have to have their hands full. Uh, hopefully, we don't see any more BS calls. No one likes to see those for the game, but <laughs> uh, I gotta you know I gotta say you know Brady for everything. Uh, it feels like Brady gets all the calls. He's actually 16th in the league uh, the last, I think, five years with roughing the passer calls and has only had one since, besides yesterday uh, or s- Sunday rather, has only had one other one since 2019. So he's not getting the calls as much as people think, but still, you, you know, quarterback, you're always looking for the calls. Throw the flag, throw the flag. You know?
4: <laughs> yeah, He. He's. I think at this point, people just, anytime he gets it, they're like, really? Again? <laughs> like, again? You're going to do this again? Uh, yeah, I think that's where that is. We have one guy we haven't really talked about on this offense that, that really needs to be talked about a decent bit is Mike Evans. Yes. Uh, where, where does he rank in the NFL today? Cause this was a big debate heading up to this season where people were arguing, is Mike Evans going to be a hall of famer? Uh, is Mike Evans even a top receiver? Like I saw it all over Twitter, all over NFL talk. Where does Mike Evans rank in your opinion? You're down there covering it. And do you think he's a hall of fame receiver?
3: I think he's a top five wide receiver in this league. I mean, a lot of things about Mike Evans is they think he's just like this big jump ball, contested receiver, a red zone threat, but he's so much more than that. He's been working out of the slot more. He's got the speed to to really separate from different guys. Um, You see he's done it with multiple different quarterbacks. At this point, I think he's fringe Hall of Fame. If he continues what he's been doing, I mean, you look at the touchdown production. um, You know, if he goes another year, makes it nine straight years, a thousand yards. He's gonna have close to those numbers, um, but you know when he, I think he's still one of the most underrated wide receivers in the game. People don't often give him his his acknowledgement, his credit. Same thing with Levante David a, a, in the middle linebacker. I oh, mean, he's absolutely. one of these guys that just gets no love. You know, look you look at Luke Keekly and Bobby Wagner, and he yeah, uh, yeah, you know, paces him in some stats alone, and and they're always talked about ahead of him in that draft class. Um, but I think uh, Mike Evans, he's he's on his way. I definitely think he's on his way. If they get another ring. Um, and he gets another maybe, you know, gets 10 years of a thousand yards straight, um, you know, maybe 20 more touchdowns. I think he's definitely right in that conversation. Problem is, as we get more and more. There's so many dynamic athletes and so many players that have putting up these numbers. You know, it used to be you had a number one wide receiver. And that was that was kind of it. The number two wide receiver was just this guy. You know, now with the league expanding to such a passing offense, number two wide receivers are still getting a thousand yards. And, you know, they're putting mm-hmm. up stat crazy stats as well. Uh, and it's going to get harder and harder, I think, for running backs to make it in. A little bit, maybe a little bit easier, but also a little bit more con- uh, convoluted for wide receivers to get in. So, I I think he's got a really good shot. It's just continuing that um, you know steady production that he's had
2: throughout his career, and, and he and he could potentially make it in there. When Brady came, you know, it's kind of like when LeBron went to Miami. Everybody wanted to go. A veteran to try to have a chance to win a ring. Well, a lot of the, the defensive line that the Buccaneers assembled were guys that, that came in, uh, they wanted that shot, you know, and they had a lot of the veterans that got like N- Dominic and Sue and Jason Gary Paul and different guys like that. Uh, but I know some of them guys were gone now and, you know, I'm incredibly envious of Devin white and Lamont David, uh, because, you know, that's the best inside linebacker tandem in the NFL. That's what the Steelers are used to having. Right. You know, they're just in the wrong uniform because the Steelers do not have anything that resembles what the Steelers' legacy usually is at that position. And it's something that's going to have to be addressed. But right now, you know, those that's who I know. I know White and David. Um, and who is it now on the defense? They're still very effective uh and but who's really stepped up so far this year to make them that way because they've had a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the ball as well especially in the secondary so who's really stood out this year on defense
3: yeah i think the first name you go to is besides devin white and levante david is antoine winfield jr mm-hmm. uh he's quickly solidifying himself as one of the best young safeties in the league they've been using them in a variety of roles free safety strong safety but mostly at nickel back nickel cornerback or just nickel, you know, I, I think that's a, a, a position that's kind of bucked, um, whether it's a cornerback or a safety. You see Tyran Matthew played a lot there. There's there's also a couple other players who've played a lot there who are more of a safety than a traditional cornerback. But um, I think, uh, you know, Antoine Winfield has certainly set himself apart. I think another guy, Carlton Davis, doesn't get enough love for what he does. He continuously shuts down some of the best wide receivers in the game or holds them to unlikely games that they're used they're usually having you know I, I go back to the NFC championship game against the Packers held Devontae Adams to six catches for 60 something yards that's hold that's shutting down Devontae mm. Adams one of the best wide receivers but he's done it against everybody you name it Hopkins in his prime Julio Jones in his prime uh, you look at the guys you know CeeDee Lamb was targeted 11 times had two catches for like 10 yards you know he's able to just kind of shut down players uh an unbelievable clip uh and doesn't get talked about jamel dean opposite of him he's ranked as one of the best cornerbacks in the league this year he's only he's talking to him today in the locker room he's like man i hope i get some more targets against the the Steelers because quarterbacks he's been so good quarterbacks just aren't targeting him right now so there's definitely a lot of good players mike edwards another pick six leads leads the league in pick sixes since 20. Uh, since twenty twenty. Uh he's coming into his own, stepping into that full-time role. So I think their secondary, where it was banged up last year and was kind of a weakness, has turned into a strength of theirs. Uh, they're very good in pass coverage and they're and they're are all very good at getting their hands on their on the ball. Dean's got two interceptions. Uh Carlton Davis has led the league in pass deflection since 2019, with the most in, in the NFL. Um, and then he moved down to the line. I mean, Vita Vea—he's he, struggled a little bit this year. He's been better as a pass rusher than a run blocker, but I think that's just getting more. Like you, you mentioned, Adam Kasu, he had Sue next to him, who was his mentor, mm-hmm. who's this guy you know he's called Big Girl uh, for so long, <laughs> and, and he's not there. So <laughs> he's taking that adjustment, taking on that bigger leadership role. He had Akeem Hicks next to him, and, which is and those two guys next to each other. Are just a pair that you don't want to run into in a back alley I tell you that much but um, you know he's been out for the last four weeks so he's got another guy next to him he feels comfortable but I think he'll pick it up and he'll get this this should be a get right game too against this offensive line the Steelers are are trotting out there um, he's another guy they have they have a lot of um, confidence in in their second first round pick from last year joe trying shrink on the outside and then check barrett i mean it's still one of the best uh Mm -hmm. linebackers the sack numbers haven't been where he wants them to be this year but the pressures certainly have been uh so i think this at each level they've got some really good playmakers to get after the quarterback to defend the pass and stop the run um which is something they've struggled with the past couple games so stopping the run uh and they look to get back on track but you know it's uh I've been impressed with the individual play out of a lot of these guys It's just coming together as a team, communicating, getting on the same page, and playing together as a team to to get back to what they were doing those first three weeks when they only let up 27 points in the, in, in three games.
4: All right. Well, before we go, I to give you a chance to make a prediction for this game. Uh, how do you see this game turning out? If, if you can give us a final score prediction, we'd, we'd love to have it.
3: Uh, so, you know, I think injuries are the telltale of this game, right? Steelers are banged up. Uh, we probably won't know more till Friday, what it's really going to look like, who's going to be out, who's not going to be out. But even if you look at the Steelers side too, you know, Fitzpatrick's been really good for them. Um, but everybody else on on that defense, which you know after tj watt went out kind of it, it started to crumble a little bit i think so mm-hmm. <laughs> um I, I think the bucks can definitely put up some points on this on on the steelers team um you know i'm i'm not saying they go all out like like the uh, bills did last week who definitely left a couple scores on the table but i could see them scoring around 31 34 points um, and the Steelers are going to have a tough time. I mean, uh, the Bucks' defense is, is a little banged up in some areas, but I still think they are uh, very capable of causing uh, destruction, you know, at, at, in the pass rushing game. Uh, I think this is a game that they want to get right, uh, stopping the run. I think that's been an onus on them. You saw Atlanta Atlanta still put up over 150 yards, you know. Atlanta was <laughs> Atlanta was down twenty-one rushing in the fourth quarter. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they got nowhere else to pass. But uh, <laughs> Atlanta, you know, Todd Bowles is gonna get these guys up. It's a rookie quarterback. Um, he's bound to make mistakes, but you got to be careful. And I was talking to Jamel Dean about that today. It's when when you play a rookie mistake, you got a, a quarterback. He's, you're bound. He's bound to make a few mistakes, but he's also because he's in that, he's got nothing to lose, right? So he's going to make some plays too. He's going to risk them, some take some chances he might. A veteran quarterback might not take, and that could hurt them. So they've got to play disciplined ball. I, I I think the Steelers put some points on the board. I don't think it's just three points this week. Um, so let's go thirty-four to thirteen um bucks we'll go 34 13 bucks they they find a way to get a touchdown a couple field goals boswell's one of the best to do it um and that's what i got for right now subject to change you know <laughs> the report though.
4: all right thank you so much for for coming on the show talking to us here uh let people know where they can see uh read your work listen to you and uh and and get all your all your shows
3: yeah, absolutely. Guys, if you're on Twitter, follow me at Twitter at J.C. Allen NFL. All of my work is over at Pewter Report, uh, PewterReport.com, uh, at Pewter Report on Twitter. Uh, I just did an interview with Leonard Fournette yesterday. That's on our YouTube channel, Pewter Report TV, if you want to check that out. Uh, I'm always a football fan first. If I didn't cover the Bucks, if I wasn't a fan of the Pats, if anything, I still want to learn as much as I can about football. Uh, so if you're one of those guys and you want to keep tabs on every every team in the league, uh Peter reports your best bet to to uh, follow for the most in depth coverage of the Buccaneers. So I, I thank you guys for having me on there. Thanks for all the fans for uh, t- uh, communicating in, in the comments. I read I read you guys. I saw you, um, and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime.
4: All right. Thank you, JC.
3: Thanks, JC. Have a good one, guys.
4: All right. Okay, Shannon. We can talk. Tampa Bay with other people. Uh, But as we're seeing in the comments, as we all know, uh, this game, the opponent isn't as relevant as the problems inside the Steelers team. Mm -hmm. The problems the Steelers have. Mike Tomlin absolutely admitted it, talked about it, and said, and when he was asked, I think it was Ryan Clark's comments, and he the with the amount of problems we have to deal with, like inside the team, that's irrelevant. Like, Roy Clark can say whatever he wants because we know how bad we played. We know it. We know how bad we are right now. And he also said, there's no easy fixes for this. And I think we can all see that, too, that there's more than – there's more problems than injuries. There's more problems than scheme. There's more problems than just talent. So mm-hmm. all across the board, just problems everywhere. I want to start with the defense. I want to ask you, if you could isolate – and if you have to, we obviously I'm saying we know there's there's multiple levels of problems. If you had to isolate one problem with the defense where you would focus your energy fixing first, what what would that be?
2: Oh man, one. I, you're limiting me to one. Yeah. So so um I'm just I can't get past watching the secondary. I can't get past Uh, the, the start startling, uh, difference between how the Steelers corners play versus everybody else in the league, everybody, there's so much press coverage shadowing receivers and, and, you know, influencing them off the line one way or the other. And, um, the Steelers, it's always five to six yard cushion and, and, you know, easy receptions, you know, even if a guy starts at the game cold he quarterbacks find the rhythm because the middle is always open and he can complete some slants and some dig routes. and it's always open. And, and then therefore he finds his rhythm and his confidence and they can't adjust because they don't have the athleticism and the speed at corner to, to change. I mean, the the guys they have are, are four or five and up guys. And, and they just, the nfls it's changed. There's too much speed out there. And, and and they're not particularly big either. So, you know, now you have a lot of the tall, lanky receivers who, unlike Chase Claypool, can high point the ball and use, use their reach and their length. And so I, I just, even if they fix some things and what comes back and, and that pass rush will help, you know, what will help cure a lot of the things that ail them, But that secondary has been an issue for years. And yep. and the the scheme and the player evaluation, the talent evaluation, and the position has to change, because I, to me that's that's the most glaring weakness. And and then there's others, but you you limited me to one. So <laughs>
4: yeah. And one of the things that surprises me is you go back 2019 when they brought in Minka Fitzpatrick and they brought in Terrell Austin. That defense, that secondary was was just suffocating. Uh-huh. They so good twenty twenty. They were still really good. Two years after that, we're like, can you guys cover like anyone? Is there anyone out there you can actually cover? Uh, so I agree with you. That is a big problem. Uh, but wasn't want, Hayden
2: I, I, wasn't Hayden and Nelson? Stephen yeah, and Nelson. I mean, they played some man coverage. They it looked they different could. than what we're seeing now. Yeah, I mean, totally different. And somebody was blaming it on. Uh, that they were aggressive on that 98-yard touchdown pass. What stuck out to me so glaringly was Davis just run right through the double team. Mm-hmm. Nor the only way Norwood, Norwood took it and Wallace would angle. have kept up. They, he said, Well, well, Norwood took a bad angle. It doesn't matter. The yeah. only way he they would have kept up was to tackle him or draw a pass in first. Because he burned them so bad. After he caught the ball, Norwood didn't even, he just started to try because he knew I ain't catching that dude. Yeah. Uh, so that lack of speed is startling.
4: I and also to your point of not being aggressive enough and, and giving people cushions and letting them run. You watch that play, they didn't alter his route. Nope. They didn't nope. interfere with him. Did they they did just you, tried to run with him. You got I think two, you got two him, defensive <laughs> backs that aren't super fast just trying to run with Gabe Davis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Josh Allen was just like <laughs> and, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's what other teams felt like when when we had, you know, when you go back to 2009, 2010, when Mike Wallace and Ben Roethlisberger were just mm-hmm. were, were tearing up teams with those passes where you just – he's like, well, you let him run. Yep. I'm yep. going to throw to him. And mm-hmm. Josh Allen can hit those balls. Uh, and and G- Gabe Davis can get deep, and you got Stefan Diggs underneath. It's, it's a nightmare over there. This game, that secondary has to deal with Mike Evans. Uh and then with all the safety help going to the outside and with the linebackers coming up and biting on play action and coming up to try and stop the run Leonard Fournette right there it's almost like this team is sitting there with two perfect Uh perfect weapons to attack the Steelers with you've got a big physical guy that you you can't just let Mike Evans run Uh -uh. you can't let Mike Evans run you have to Uh have some way of getting interfering with his route and stopping him you can't, and even if you run with him, he's just going to high point the ball over you. You've got to mess up his route and his timing. And then Leonard Fournette, if that middle is open and they're letting Leonard Fournette get the ball underneath with some, you know, and letting him turn and mm-hmm. run,
2: that's it's over. If if Devin Bush has to have a day of tackling Leonard Fournette in the <laughs> open field, the Steelers are in a lot of trouble. Be in trouble. If Robert Spillane has got to chase Godwin across the field on these crossers, uh, the Steelers are in a lot of trouble. And I don't see them changing. One, because there's a a degree of stubbornness. You know, I, I, I was ignorant. I thought that the Steelers might play some zero coverage. You know, I mean, I watched Buffalo and the Chiefs this weekend, past weekend. There was times that everybody was at the line of scrimmage. And at the snap of the ball, it was like a fire sale. I mean people was breaking in every direction and they have the athleticism, the speed to get back at drops. You know, even if they're there at the line of scrimmage at the snap, the Steelers guys, they don't have that athleticism speed to do that. No. Nope. So even if Brian Flores wanted to do like he did with Miami, you know, which, which they crushed the Ravens and stopped the Jackson. He did that a lot that game and teams nope. are doing that too. Uh, as the bills did to pick it. To try to disguise what was coming, and it you know it takes you teams did it to Ben, and as smart as Ben was, the Steelers can't do that. They don't have the athleticism to do that. So, um, I did not realize the how startlingly slow the secondary was till this season started, and then I just realized that their hands are tied.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's hard, and a big part of that last game. Uh, Terrell Edmonds is one of your few, like Terrell Edmonds and Minka mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. are your athletes at mm-hmm. the secondary. Yep. So that's who you have. And when, mm. and when Terrell was out, what amazed me watching the film going through uh, is how they were putting Minka up short mm-hmm. really to take away them getting beat underneath by Stefan Diggs. And the play, the play that uh, gave Davis score that 98 yard touchdown, the deep safeties were Arthur Millette and Trey Norwood mm. were your two deep defenders. Mm-hmm. that's not that's not fast no nope. <laughs> that's, that's uh and, and I mean if you have Terrell Edmonds in there Terrell Edmonds can run with the Gabe Davis he might not make the greatest plays he might not you know be the the best safety overall but in a play like that he can at least run with the guy mm-hmm. he can at least shrink that window instead of just letting him run through uh so if he comes back that's a little help but but I agree with you a lot of the times I'm looking at this scheme and I'm like this game is terrible. And then I'm looking at the players, and I'm like, well, when they go away from that <laughs> scheme, it's almost worse.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: It's just like damned if you do and damned if you don't. You really don't
2: have it. If Ryan Chazier uh, could outrun anybody in the silver secondary, I believe that. Uh, I really do. And yeah. uh, you take uh, one of the best edge, young edge rushers in the NFL, Mika Parsons. He can outrun anybody in the secondary.
4: Oh, TJ Watt would outrun them all. TJ Watt right now, he could outrun all those guys.
2: Uh, I mean, at least that's,
4: that's bad. That's really bad. Yeah. I, you know what? You know what? I'd like to see Kenny Pickett in a foot race with our secondary. Just see who wins that. Because, you know, that'd be a good race. That'd be pretty good.
2: It would be. Keep, Lincoln, keep
4: Lincoln and Terrell out of there. Just the cornerbacks. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a tough race for him. Oh man. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to add my thought on the defensive weakness. I absolutely agree with the secondary. Uh, And another one, I think that the talent level limits what the Steelers can do. And that's the defensive line. Uh, Cam Hayward, obviously with TJ out Cam Hayward is the focus. And with, with him next to Alex Highsmith, a lot of the time in the, in the traditional setup for the Steelers, they've been moving around to avoid it. But in those guys, best positions they are right next to each other. If you're playing Alex Highsmith and Cameron Hayward, where they're the most comfortable and most productive, they're right next to each other, mm-hmm. and you're just sliding the line that way and saying you guys got three offensive linemen blocking you with a, a running back to help, you know? And, and you know, we'll just shut down that side and let someone else try to beat us. Uh, I, and it's hard to say because I love Cameron Hayward. I love Cameron Hayward. He's mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer, and he still has it. He's banged up right now. He's and he's getting more focused. He is not able to dominate the way he did last year, even right now. Mm-mm. Larry Ogunjoby has been solid. He's been really solid, but mm-hmm. he's not mm-hmm. Stefan it. He's not what Stefan it was. I would put him below, if you go back to 2019, I'd put uh Ogunjobi a bit below uh Javon Hargrave and what he did for the Steelers in 2019. Like he's not that level. But he's been a very good signing. When you're signing a guy for the money they signed, for the role they signed, yeah, he's been good. Tyson Alu is not the same player right now. And he's, what, 35?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Like, it's possible he's not – it's possible his his days are behind him and he's almost done. We're seeing mm-hmm. – even talked about it, he almost retired last season. Now he's not quite the guy he was. Like, the Steelers, really on the defensive line, are, are hoping – I mean – The hope at this point is TJ Watt comes back. Obviously, that's a big impact. Mm -hmm. And that that frees up a little more space for Cameron Hayward. But we're looking at DeMarvin Leal and saying, hopefully this guy really, really turns it on over the course of his rookie season. Because otherwise, this defensive line, they're nothing impressive. They're not collapsing the pocket. Mm -mm. They're not stopping the run. Like, I, I agree with you. Devin Bush isn't a good run defender. He isn't but they, when they drafted him and brought him in, they had a defensive line in front of him that you could take six blockers in the run game and they'd lose to the Steelers front four.
2: Hmm.
4: They would flat out lose. And you'd see Stefan to make a run tackle where both him and Cameron Hayward were, were supposed to be double teamed, And not only could the linemen not get off the, the combo blocks to the, to the linebackers, they flat out lost. And you'd see the running back have nowhere to go with just those four. There's, Plays in twenty nineteen where Devin Bush is a little slow to read the run play. It doesn't. He, by the time he gets there, the guy's been tackled for no gain or for one yard gain because the defensive line was that good. And now that's not the case.
2: But if you watch, I know you you watch the the replay and watch each individual play. If you watch Chase Claypool play football, and you watch Devin Bush play football. There's not a love of the game there.
0: Yeah. It's
2: it's a you'll see guys with half their talent out there fighting and, and you know wanting to be first to contact. They want to defend every blade of grass, uh, or they want to, you know, throw that extra block. I mean, you watch Jalen Warren, you watch George Pickens throwing a block 30 yards downfield to try to help out a teammate, come across the field to do it there's a difference in, in a level of intensity and desire. Mm-hmm. There's they, they showed two clips um that I'd noticed already just from watching the game again, whereas Bush just keeps waiting for the action to get to him. To so whereas he never touched anybody. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't come towards things. He don't come forward. It's like, okay, if it comes over here, I've got this. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, for a middle linebacker, that just doesn't cut it.
4: Yeah, you gotta get in there.
2: Yeah, and, and he doesn't have that that joke dog mentality that knows for the football, that um the love of contact. I mean, it just I don't know what else to say it. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned something earlier, and you're right. When when Hayward and Highsmith was on the same side of the field, I never seen anybody since White get chipped by the running back going out. As much as they did, Highsmith, mm-hmm. he would try, he would go right into his move, getting ready to do that speed. He likes to, and he's getting chipped by the running back every time. Yep. He he eventually just kind of you could tell he's just was getting worn out, and beat up. Um, and they was blocking Hayward a lot with one guy, and I know he's hurt, yeah. and we know that he's dealing with injuries, but he's not the same. He's not. He the same will, dude right now. he will always be one of the strongest guys in the league, but if he loses. If he loses, if he ain't as spry as he was or that little bit of quickness that made him effective, uh, especially as a pass rusher, you know, collapsing that pocket and everything, you know, what if he moves inside? Because they can lengthen his career if he can slide inside because he's definitely strong enough. Yeah. And then you play a guy like Loudermilk on one side and Ogejobi on the other side and then keep these other guys is your depth pieces because the Lulu looks like, I mean, I hate to say it, but he looks like he's done. Yeah, he uh, Unless something happens, he's, he's dead. He got dead legs and I've never seen him get pushed around and end up on the ground as much as he has this year. Even yeah. when he was with Jacksonville on a really bad team. Uh We know that Wormley is not a, uh, he, he's a situational pass rusher. He's a quality depth guy, but he, if you put him out there too much, he gets exposed. And and I know they they put my Adams in there, but he's dealing with his own injuries. But when he's been in there, he's been invisible. I mean, I kept. I mean, I was I was surprised a lot of times when he would run up at the end of the play, you know, when when a tackle would be made. And I'm like, I didn't realize Adams was in there. Yeah. You know, he's the nose tackle. That's not good. You know, I mean, he's not influencing and tying up blockers. Um. Yeah, like you said, the, the defensive line is is it looks like it's the one of the huge weaknesses because it's older mm-hmm. um and lacking uh you know the special talent that we've gotten used to and, and accustomed to. So yeah, yeah I, I I definitely agree with you, but that that uh, the age of, of Hayward and for all that happening now, it's very concerning and I'm and I'm really wondering if, if he might have to slide inside.
4: Yeah. Kind of an alu alu move, going to a yeah, rotational yeah, exactly. role. Yeah, exactly.
2: That's hey, I've wanted it for two years
4: now. I still do. I want the Steelers to take a as a real, you know, big time first round defensive tackle, a mm-hmm. uh, guy like a Christian Barmer, a guy like that who's just a physical monster that can collapse the pocket. Put him in there before Hayward gets too old, before Hayward retires. Let it give him, give him two or three years. The way Tampa Bay talks about Vita Vea. Playing with Nomakan Sue. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's what I want. I want someone in there learning from Cameron Hayward, learning from someone who's connected with that. And there's a reason I want that. And you talked about it earlier when you talked about Chase Claypool and you talked about Devin Bush. And I want to, I want to take, I want to talk a little bit about a player who never showed to me a personal love of the game, but when he played with the Steelers would still show it on the field, still showed intensity on the field. That's Martavis Bryant. When Martavis Bryant was with the Steelers and they had Antonio Brown in there and they had that room, that locker room worked hard. They were a little crazy. They were a little (laughs) little egotistical, but they worked. And they put that work to show on the field. You, Martavis Bryant came into the leagues as one of the worst-handed receivers in college. They were like, this guy can't catch, Uh which is why he fell to the fourth round because he dropped everything. They came in, Richard Mann's like, we can drill that out of him. Antonio Brown does the jugs machine. Martavis Bryant's going to do the jug machines. Martavis, Antonio Brown blocks people. Martavis Bryant's going to block people. Martavis mm-hmm. Bryant comes in, does the work, because that's what everyone did on that team. You did. They had that leadership. And as a receiver, you put in the work, you blocked, you caught the ball. And we saw Martavis Bryant embrace that.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And he's not a guy. I would sit there and say that's a guy who loves football. No, <laughs> probably not that dude. He wasn't that guy, but yet he did it when that leadership was there. And you go back to when Hines Ward was there. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, those guys are leaders. Mm-hmm. And it's it, I, I always talk about this. One of the things that always stands out to me is you look at uh, Lin Swan, John Stallworth, and Hines Ward, and you look at their playoff records. Mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin and Bill Cowher and Chuck Noll all have losing playoff records. Except for the years where you have John Stallworth and Lynn Swan playing, and when you have Heinz Ward playing, hmm. and we won, because those guys weren't just—they weren't just great players. They were leaders and they were tone setters. Mm-hmm. And one thing this offense doesn't have is leadership in the wide receiver room mm. at all. Mm-mm. You don't see those guys, you know, staying after practice and sweating it to get rid of their drops. Mm. They've done work; it's been put in, but not like we used to see. Not like we saw with Richard Mann and Antonio Brown and those those teams. We we don't see that passion. Mm-hmm. We don't like who 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 in the wide receiver room chews out Chase Claypool or George Pickens for sloughing off a route? Nobody. Like Deontay Johnson decides to not run too hard on a route. Who reads him the riot act?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Who's chewing him out in the sideline? Nobody's doing it. Mm-mm. There's nobody to do it. They wanted Najee Harris to be that leader, but he's not, he's not even like you running back. Can't come up to a guy who's, who's, you know, been a veteran more than him and, and come up and tell him, Hey, you know, run that route. Right. Mm. He's yeah, but Antonio Brown would chew you out. Ben Roethlisberger
2: would chew yeah. you out. Yeah. But if you hear today uh, when they interview Kenny Pickett, he's talking about, it was a much more precise practice. Yep. More focused guys were running the routes and realizing that you might not be that first read, but hey, you know, it, this might open up and I'm going to have to hit you and we got to go full speed at practice. He said, Pickett It's a rookie. He's only had one start. He's already saying they, you know, they have to improve their intensity, their attention to detail. He shows that leadership skill. Yep. We'd love to have somebody in the wide receiver room. It ain't happening. We're not seeing it. But it yeah. might be that the rookie will lead us. You yeah. know, he, he might have to be. And to me, I get the impression with Pickett, you know, you're either going to get on board and, and come on for the ride or you're going to get left behind. Yeah. And as as Bradshaw used to do with Swan and Stallworth, you know, they're begging for the ball and he's the one throwing it. So mm-hmm. they, they want to keep Kenny Pickett happy if they want to keep their targets up. So hopefully that'll be a positive influence.
4: Yeah, and I, I'd like to see George Pickens because I think we've seen George Pickens is a little crazy. I, I don't think I'm I'm out on a stretch with that. No. You watch how he plays, you watch yeah. how he carries himself, how he talks. Yeah. He's got a little craziness to him, right? Mm-hmm. We had that before with Antonio Brown, right? But Antonio yeah. Brown also had that room working. Yeah, he had that room working hard when he was here, uh, and they did it because of him. And also, in spite of him, like he, he mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't the player you wanted him to be, but his work ethic was crazy, and yeah. he dragged those other guys with him. And his intensity level was unmatched. Maybe you know a little too high, uh, and in the intensity level. But if George Pickens is that kind of receiver, then yeah, maybe, maybe this turns around with George Pickens being the guy who's like you know, crazy enough that he might fight you on the sideline when you don't run your route right. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like like maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to see it. I'd love to see it. And I love – it is noticeable when Kenny Pickett is out there. You see a little bit more intensity from those receivers because if you're not the first read, mm-hmm. you still have a good chance of getting the ball. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, it, it got pretty obvious that, you know, he, would, he was a one, maybe two read guy.
2: Max. Thanks.
4: Max. Max. If you're, if you're the third read, you might as well just stand at the line and, and just, like, look off in the distance. It's You're not getting the ball.
2: Two things I want to run by you that really yeah. stuck out to me is I'm concerned about Pat Fryermuth because that's three concussions in a short period of time. Oh, yeah. And once you get them, then you start getting them easier. And the way he plays, and he's so intense, and he does try to get extra yardage, you know, there's nothing – there was nothing that anybody could have done. That that hit was, you know, from both sides, and that would have concussed a lot of That's people. Ugly, but yeah. now I'm concerned about his long term, you know, future. Uh, the The other thing is, Piggins is is like you said, he's ultra intense. Um, Ab's work ethic was legendary to the point that people were embarrassed if they didn't work hard yeah. because he, he made them look so bad. You know, they didn't, they didn't want, as you, as you said, he set the example mm-hmm. uh, and you want your best player setting the example. Um, do you think that, that I, I want you everything he does, um, from his blocking to, you know, the, his, uh, intensity after the catch. I mean, you have to make him go down. He doesn't just go down. Yeah, He's fighting guys, dragging guys. Um, First of, do you are you as concerned as I am about Fryermuth? And second, you so you think that you're seeing some of that AB intensity in Pickens? Well,
4: I'll go with Pickens first. I do. I do think we're seeing a bit. Of, I, I can't. I'm not going to put him on that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antonio Brown's like, what one of the one of the best things I was ever told was your greatest strengths are your greatest weaknesses. They're mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever you're best at, that's also going to be what causes you what causes what you're kind of worse at. Mm-hmm. and Antonio Brown was one of those cases where the dude was so, it, it was not manageable. His intensity his competitiveness. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of fuels his craziness. You see it in how mm-hmm. he, when he gets talking crazy, it's very much I'm being disrespected It's very much. You don't, you know, like, and he brings such intensity to that, that it's not healthy. Right. Mm-hmm. But that also fueled his success on the field. It fueled this kid who, Went from a guy who couldn't run routes and couldn't catch balls very well, who was a sixth-round pick to be a punt returner, you know, turns into one of the greatest receivers we've ever seen. That's insane. And it's a little bit of his insanity that made that happen, but also that brought him down. Uh so George Pickensby, I mean, he's not on that level. He's not on an A-B level, but there is a little bit of that in there. There is some more intensity, uh, definitely than we than we've seen from recent receivers. Juju Smith Schuster was laid back. Chase Claypool's very laid back. Deontay Johnson, he's got a different kind of of competitiveness. He's kind of a, I don't know, I don't know how to describe his person. He's just a different personality type Uh than that. George Pickens is that intense competitor kind of guy. I think that's why he's so good at contested catches, and a guy like Chase Claypool isn't, Uh because Claypool is just like running his route, doing his thing, and he doesn't have that like crazy in him that he has to get that ball. Like that ball is mine, and I'm getting it. I don't care. What I have to do to get it, I'm gonna come down with it. Uh that's and that George Pickens has that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to address something we've been talking about a lot on in the comments, a lot. And this is a big topic right now because anytime a team is really struggling, a position group is struggling, we look at the position coach. When the offense is struggling, we look at the offense coordinator, when the entire team is terrible and playing <laughs> inexcusably bad, mm-hmm. a lot of focus gets put on the head coach too, right? And mm-hmm. I, I I mean, really, it doesn't take much for people to start calling for Tomlin's head in this town. Uh, we have kind of ridiculous expectations of Steeler fans. But right now, this is legitimately bad. Mm-hmm. This is legitimately bad. Uh, how much, Shannon, do you put on the coaches? And on what coaches do you put the burden here? not either, either the blame for it going wrong or I'm even going to, I'm going to extend it a little past that and say responsibility for getting it fixed.
2: It's an organizational problem. Uh, So I start with AR two, uh, with, with Kevin Colbert now con, uh, to Tomlin and then on down, uh, with the coaches staff, Tomlin is the guy that calls the shots, so he has to take that responsibility. Um, they're out-coached regularly, basically every week. Uh, they lack discipline. They they have the same mistakes, making the same mistakes every week. It, you know, it's reoccurring. These issues have been going on now for years. I said in a comment today in one of the articles, uh, that Tomlin inherited a team not too removed from a Super Bowl with a franchise quarterback ready made, ready to go, and a lot of veterans on that team that took on a lot of that leadership. And, you know, and he won a Super Bowl and he's done an excellent job. He's a great players coach, but he's not an X's and O's coach. So he relies on his coordinators for schematically. Um, and the Steelers have become so dependent on their superstars. Uh, and each year they are losing superstars. Guys are aging out or retiring or, or leaving through free agency. And, and the guys they replace them with each time are not quite as good. You go from AB, you get Deontay Johnson. He's a good player, but you know, obviously not as good. Um, You know, marquise pouncey leadership there i mean there's just so many guys you can you could talk about but tomlin's never had to be a part of a rebuilding situation if that's why that they're so scared to say the word i don't know but it they're obviously in it it's basically been since 2019 because they have not been a serious contender even with the 11 and 0 start in 2020 it was a lot of everybody kept saying well they got all these holes they got all these problems and you remember we would do a quarterly grades and my grades was always lower than a lot of the, of my fellow writers. And the reason being is because I kept saying, I want to see improvement each quarter of the season so that they will be a better team at the end. Mm-hmm. They never did that. They, they, they peaked out in the middle of the season and then they degressed the rest of the season for various reasons, whether injuries and But that goes back to the coordinators, which is the head coach's responsibility. So, you know, people saying, oh, fire Tom and all that stuff. That's nonsense. Um, But he has to show that he's the right guy for this rebuild. He's never had to do one. He's never even been a part of one. And so he has to show that he can change. And, you know, sometimes guys don't want to. You know, he, he, he cut his teeth on the Tampa too. You know, he's a dungy, you know, disciple. I mean, he might not want to change. He might not see, be able to see what everybody else has seen. Um, And Ben's no longer around. You take Ben and TJ White off that team last year, they might've won three or four games. That's the honest to God truth. And you're seeing it now. It was not Ben. And what scares me is a lot of times it's like, we kept hearing quarterback mobility and this and that We have to have all this for Canada's offense to work. Even with the stuff they've given him that he needed, that we all thought he needed, it looks very similar. You know, it's the same few plays. It's the same. You know, that creativity we keep expecting. Was it because Ben was not mobile? I mean, Ben was a shell of himself, but the dude could read Davis. He could throw the ball still. But they they (sighs) – the 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 Colbert just has neglected the offensive and defensive lines so badly, the foundations of this organization, of their success that, and, and you you know you paint a barn it's still an old barn, um, you you put skill position guys there but they don't have the foundation to let them be successful. It, it's an organization problem and I think it started honestly with the loss of Dan Rooney.
4: Yeah. And, that's, and that's a huge loss that really, yeah, I don't think we talked about. I don't about
2: think anybody not. really realizes how big a lot of this organization. So uh, I want to see Art Rooney number two. I want to see him step up um, and, and he might have to make the tough decisions if Tomlin can't, but um, I, I, Tomlin's got to show he can be the man, the right man for this rebuild because that's what it is. Okay. That was that was great. I agree with you. I, I agree
4: with you there. I, I'm not gonna disagree with you at all. Uh, I've seen a lot of talk about Matt Canada. And I actually want to give my theory on Matt Canada. I'm gonna go and go into my conspiracy theory shell. I'm gonna get out my you know strings and start putting pictures together. Uh but this is my take on Matt Canada, and I think Matt Canada came in because Tomlin, uh Colbert, the the AR2, the Steelers upper you know, powers that be the important people in the organization decided that this offense post Ben needed to be more in line with the chiefs more in line with all these other offenses that are taking up. The bills run, run the same kind of plays. Like, uh, I think it was KT Smith showed in the off season, the bills run everything Matt Canada runs. Hmm. The bills run the same offense. The Steelers are running right now. It's the same offense. It's the same plays. Maybe the plays are being called better. Maybe they're being executed better, taught better, whatever. But it's the same kind of offensive design. And I look at that and I think back to when the Steelers were looking to make this change. You look back to 2020, you look back to 2021, right? Todd Haley, how he left the Steelers, everyone knew Ben was involved. I think Ben got correct where people were like, Ben came in and made them fire Tom. No. But the, 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 the relationship between Todd Haley and Ben Roethlisberger played a part in his contract not being renewed. Uh, Mike Munchak was also involved in that. Uh, it's, it's no coincidence. He, I've talked about that before. He dropped all of his coaching things within hours of them announcing that Todd Haley would not return. That quarterback then goes into 2019 and gets seriously injured. 2020, you've got a guy coming back from a serious injury. Right? 2021. In 2021, he was a guy his own GM was like, maybe we should move on to this guy, but we can't because he needs to play for our salary cap situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and kudos to Ben for, for really coming back to help the team, even though he knew he wasn't wanted by everybody. Probably the first time in his career ever faced people in the organization being like, you know what, I actually would rather not have him on the field. Uh, but that's a tough situation. Mm-hmm. You had an offensive line that had to be completely rebuilt from the ground up. We lost four offense four all five offensive linemen within two years. They're all gone. Like that's crazy. Other than, well, four of the five, Chukwu McCorfor was a backup until, you know, mm-hmm. that all happened, but he was still around. Uh, you, you have a new offensive scheme that needs to be instilled while you have a quarterback that in the past has not been the most open to changing his scheme. Right. When taught, when, when, Todd Haley came in, he didn't like it. He liked it, he preferred Bruce Arian's system. Uh, and when he went out, Finkner brought back stuff that and ran kind of Ben's offense that Ben wanted to run. And also, if you look in 2018, when the offense was healthy, it worked. When the offense was actually talented, it went pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, it didn't so much. But when you when you take that kind of a situation and you say, we want to instill massive change in a team. We want to hire an offensive coordinator to come in here and implement a new offense with a quarterback that may not be the easiest situation for you to work with because you have to respect Ben Roethlisberger. You have to respect what he can do on the field. And at the same time, you're saying, hey, I want you to run plays that don't fit what you do. Right? No quarterback, when Bruce Arians brought Tom Brady and he was like, we're going to do things differently, it quickly changed. They, started, they stopped doing it Bruce Arians' way and they started doing audibles. From Tom Brady. They started changing how they did hot routes to fit Tom Brady Mm -hmm. because you don't take a quarterback who has that much success in one way of doing things and say, now we're going to flip it and you need to have success doing it this way. Doesn't happen. Right. I'm not blaming Ben. I'm just saying that's a tough situation that Ben went through. Kudos to him for how he handled it with class and hard work and learned to do a lot of stuff that he hadn't done before. But that's also a hard situation for an offensive coordinator. And when you're also talking rebuilding the offensive line, you're talking going through a period that looks like it's going to be a rebuild, even if the team won't say it. When we sit here and see people say, why didn't the Steelers go get a high-end offensive coordinator? Well, who's taking that job? Mm -hmm. Who are you getting going to look at that situation and say, yeah, I want to work with a 38-year-old quarterback. And I want to work with an offensive line that needs to be completely rebuilt from the ground up. And I want to do this. While completely trying to change the offense and how it works. And who do they get? A the guy who'd been out of work in a year from college, who runs all of it, who his entire thing is running that exact offense. And I, And if you really don't like Matt Canada, right? If you think he's the guy and he still has a chance, well, we're gonna see it. We're gonna see Ooh. his chance this year and next year, maybe. If you're a guy who looks at Matt Cannon and says, no, this guy isn't the answer, understand at the end of this season, the offensive line won't be bad, right? It's not terrible right now. It's not good, but it's all right. You can Mm -hmm. live with this offensive line. You have a young quarterback who shows promise. You have a talented group of wide receivers with some youth in George Pickens that look like a top-end guy. You have talent here. You have a system implemented. If the Steelers want to go out after this season and go get someone who coaches it, runs it, play calls it better than Matt Canada, they're in a much better position to do it than they were two years ago, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The commitment I see is the Steelers committing to changing the style of their offense. And this was the best way to do it. And we're going to see how, how big their commitment is to Matt Canada and how long they stick with him. We'll we'll see that. That's going to be a big deal. Uh, but to me, that's my thoughts on the offense are this is a transition that they needed to go through, and they weren't in a position to go out and get a really good coach to do it.
2: Well, they got issues on both sides of the ball. Uh, that it's not a quick fix, as we know. Yeah, so uh that's one thing that they need to embrace the rebuild, and it needs to start now. Uh from the way they coach player usage uh everything and it needs to start now cuz if not this will be a wasted season
4: absolutely absolutely all right shannon we gone a little over here our time uh griping about the steelers problems <laughs> little little therapy session here for shannon and me uh let's get a let's get a prediction for this game coming up
2: Oh goodness! Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just have nightmares, flashbacks of Brady, and then when I see the issues the Steelers are having currently, and and how he's the the perfect quarterback to exploit that, especially if you can't get any pressure on him at all, which they can't without what, um, you know, trying to tackle um uh, that monster running back, uh, you know, it. it whether he's running or catching it and out of the the backfield so uh and if they do have a stout defense even though they have some injuries so um I, I'm hoping that they can keep something around a 34 to 17 uh score you know I, they won't uh cover the spread obviously but hopefully the stewards can at least score uh 17 points and and make it more respectable than last week
4: okay. Last week, I I said I suspected the Steelers to be to be hit pretty hard. That I, I was saying we could see the Bills put up forty on them. They got to thirty eight. Yeah. I had the Bill, I had the Steelers scoring more than three points. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I I don't have much more hope for this game. Mm-hmm. When Kenny Pickett was really at his best, Pat Fryermuth was really involved. Mm-hmm. And what we see from Pat Firemuth this week, I don't think it's going to be the same level. Can George Pickens, I mean, really, you look at at Kenny Pickens' passing stats, George Pickens has more than twice as many receiving yards as any other receiver. Leads in catches by a good margin. Like, that's the matchup there. Uh Can Tampa slow him down? They have the guys that do it. They have guys that do exactly that. Uh, Zach Gentry, without Pat Friermuth, I can't see Devin White and Levante David being scared of anybody mm-hmm. coming out of the backfield. Even Najee Harris, fantastic receiver. Jalen Warren's a pretty good receiver in his own right. But if Pat Friermuth isn't really rolling, I don't see this offense getting going much at all. Uh I, I see another bad game. I don't think we see 38, uh, but I'm going to go 31-6 to for this mm. game. I, I think it's ugly, and I don't think it's getting better. It, it, the, like Tomlin said, there's too many problems for them to fix it and turn it around in one week and give a good showing against Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. Really hope I'm lo- wrong, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't see it happening. This team is right now uh, organizationally, morale on the team, team leadership, uh, injury status, scheme everything is in shambles some of those can get fixed in a week a lot of them can Uh all right shannon anything you got coming out
2: uh i've just got an article that i'm finishing up uh talking about how that the steelers rebuild needs to start in earnest immediately uh and again that goes back to uh how they coach how they evaluate player usage Everything needs to start now.
4: Yep. Uh I haven't been, I haven't been putting out as much stuff. Uh it's it's been crazy for me. I, I had to move my mom up to Tennessee. Uh so we've been crazy busy around here, but I do have a vertex coming out. Uh, I've got it set up. I just gotta actually finish it tonight and get it get it submitted so Dave can, can get it out there. But uh we're doing a vertex on DeMarvin Liao, one of the few, you know. We've got Kenny Pickett on offense and George Pickens that we're hoping turn into something special. DeMarvin Leal is that guy on the defense that you're looking at saying he is showing some promise. Uh, What could he become? What could happen? So that's, that's what we got coming there. Uh, That's all I really have coming out. I want to thank everyone for listening everyone for being here. Part of the live chat. We got over a hundred of you in here. It's great to have everyone. We've got lots of interaction in the, in the live chat. Uh, so thank you for all your comments uh, we read them all and, and we enjoy them I want to thank our guest JC Allen for coming on he was a great guest we had a great time talking to him as always I want to thank everyone for being here make sure you're clicking over to behind reading articles you're checking out all the podcasts on the behind the steel curtain family of podcasts and as always thank you for being here thank you for listening have a great week and let's go Steelers